This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Please enjoy the following pre-recorded encore presentation of Equipped with Chris Brooks. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to a very exciting edition of Equipped with Chris Brooks. I am absolutely thrilled that you've joined me today. Why don't you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you into what will be a very interactive edition of Equip. Let me give you the number up front because you are definitely going to want to call 877-LIVE-675. That's 877-548-3675. Let me also say thank you to all of our partners that make Equip uh, possible on a daily basis. It is God's grace and your generosity that allow us to be here each and every day to equip Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend their faith. We could not be here without your generous gifts. And so maybe you've been listening, you've been encouraged, you've been blessed by the resources, the guests, and the wisdom that comes through uh, every day on Equip uh, through our guests and our partners. Uh, today would be a great day for you to stand with us and help us to uh, meet our budget. Let me say thank you to some recent partners and donors. Thanks to Michelle in Macomb, Michigan, for your gift and partnership with us. Thank you to Mary, first time uh, donor to Equip. I thank you from Cleveland, Ohio. Mary, what a blessing you are. God bless you. And also Carolyn from Lewisburg, Tennessee, who became a monthly partner. We call those good folks Equippers. Thank you, Carolyn, for joining us here at Equip. Listen, uh, we believe in tackling the tough questions of our day with relevant and biblical answers to help Christians to think critically and to live compassionately. If you want to help to spread the gospel in your community, and in particular, to reach a new generation with the good news of Jesus Christ, why don't you partner with us today? You can find out more about how to partner by going to our website at equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. Or if it's easier, dial this number now, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. All right, I have a question for you. If you were challenged to uh, prove that Jesus really did exist, but you could not rely on the scriptures, you could not point to the New Testament and its documents as your reference point, could you do it? Could you prove the significance of Jesus and his existence, that he was not only a real person, but he was who he said he was, Savior and Lord of all? Could you do that? Well, today we want to help to introduce you to a resource that I think is monumental in its impact and I think will help to introduce you to a way for you and I to convince even the skeptic that Jesus is uh, not only real, but he cannot be dismissed and is worthy of our attention. I'm always excited anytime Jay Warner Wallace can stop by Equip. For those of you who don't know Jim and his work and his ministry, he's a Dateline featured cold case homicide detective. He's also 
senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, a popular national speaker and best-selling author. You know, he's uh, relied on more than two decades of investigative experience. Wallace provides uh, the tools needed to investigate the claims of Christianity and make a convincing case for the truth of the Christian worldview. Always a pleasure to have Jim with us, and today especially to talk about his newly released book, Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. Jim, how are you, brother? I'm so glad to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Man, why is everyone raving about this book, Jim? Well, I, I, I hope it's because there was a sense that we, we don't get taught this about Jesus anymore. I mean, we never were. I mean, I was in Los Angeles County growing up, and, and I never really studied Jesus as the kind of figure that he is historically, you know, and that the impact that Jesus has on culture. That's just not something that I, I ever uh, learned about. And I think this is something we need to, to remind ourselves, to remind culture of how much we are indebted in human history to the person of Jesus. And I think this, the, the evidence that is in history will demonstrate both his historicity and his deity. And that's what I'm trying to do in this book, Person of Interest. I don't know if anyone's made this comparison, but I remember the first time I got my hands on Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict. And uh, I looked at this, and man, it was groundbreaking because Josh did so much research into that project that uh, man, uh, manuscript research. He did archaeological research, historical research, but it it gave uh, it, it really empowered the believer to stand in the public square and to defend the faith that we believe. I got to be honest. I think persons a person of interest is this generation's equivalent. It is a book that the university student, the teacher in the classroom, the professor, the businessman or woman. Uh, the young person who's trying to defend their faith can point to for strong, reliable, concrete evidence of uh, the significance of Jesus. Have you heard people celebrate it as such? Well, you know, you're asking the author, right? So, Chris, you know, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it that glowingly, right? But my, my hope was, you know, a lot of this just came out of that year we suffered last year, the COVID year, because I, I all my trips, you know, and, and, and speaking events got canceled, and I was able to really lean in and, and really dig deep into some of these areas that I maybe would not have been able to do had it not been for the fact we'd all were locked down. So, yeah, this just became a passion, and it became a hugely um, – and you know, I had two research assistants. The, the kind of the level of, of research to do this kind of a book is, is kind of overwhelming. I think if I had known when I started that maybe yes. I would have been more intimidated <laughs> by the project. Been. You know what I mean? Well, while mo- most of us were making trips to the refrigerator, you were writing a groundbreaking book during COVID. Let's talk about how much time and work goes into a project like this. Well, first of all, I made my share of trips to the refrigerator, okay? I can tell you that. I still can't get that weight off. Anyway, but the point is, yeah, a lot of it was for us was I, I knew – I asked Zondervan, the publisher, can you give me a couple of years to build the stage presentations? I, I, I present cases to juries, right? This is what we do for a living, and, and you might have 10 weeks of data, of facts, of evidence you're going to present to your jury, but all of that has to get summarized in a few hours in your closing argument. You're not going to be able to go 10 more weeks and just recite every piece as you said it in the in the display of evidence during the 10 weeks. No, you've got to be able to persuasively summarize it. And so I asked for the two years to kind of build 
and and get a chance to present to audiences the, the kind of case I wanted to present in the book. And Zondervan was very kind, allowed me to do that. And then they allowed me to do the 400-plus illustrations that are in the book. You know, I would, That's what, kind of what we do in front of a jury. We make it visual. Yes. And so that's the, the, the amount of work is maybe two years of research and, and construction, and then another maybe six to nine months of writing the actual research once it's all ready to write, and then another three months of, of doing the illustrations. And then you have a book, and so that's that's kind of the the, wow. the, the course of of what you have to this, for this kind of book. And I may never do a book of this extent again. I don't know, but that's what this one took. The illustrations are worth the book itself. You say that this book is kind of a three part book. It is part graphic novel, part detective mystery, part personal journey. Explain what you mean by that. Well, you know, we want we learn something in doing um, kids' books that that. Um, there's so many parallels in investigating a case and then turning that toward the case for Jesus that I wanted in this book to tell a story, a story of, of uh, one of the cases I've had, a nobody murder, which is just where one of those cases where like a husband will kill his wife or a wife will kill her husband, and then they'll claim that the, the spouse ran off and they're not really dead, and we take the case as a missing persons report, and then years later we don't have any evidence really because nobody took the case originally as a murder. And I've had a couple of these, you know, three of them, where we had to you know, make a case in front of a jury without a body. You got to prove to the jury this is actually a murder first, and then you got to prove that he did it or she did it. So, so that's the kind of nature of these cases. And so, I'm tracing one of these cases because that's the exact approach we're taking with Jesus. We, we tell juries that, hey, I may not be able to tell you what happened on the day she went missing, but I can tell you this: if a bomb exploded and she was killed, well, every bomb's got a fuse that burns slowly toward the explosion, and after it, ex- it detonates, you've got shrapnel all over the blast radius. We're going to show you what happened on the day she went missing by simply tracing the fuse and the fallout. So if we did the same thing with Jesus, if we imagine a scenario in which every New Testament has been destroyed, so there's no evidence in the crime scene, well, we could demonstrate the truth about Jesus from simply the fuse and fallout of history, that period leading up to Jesus and the period that follows. And that's really the approach we're taking with this book, a fuse and fallout, which is what I do with all nobody murders. Uh, that's what you have to do in front of a jury. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about in this book. We're going to trace a mystery. We're going to show you how it relates to Jesus. And I'm also going to tell you something about my personal journey. And it's so illustrated that it really is kind of like a graphic novel. That's so good. Jay Warner Wallace joining me today. Phone number 877-LIVE-675. Maybe you are trying to share your faith with a skeptic, with someone who does not believe in the credibility of the Bible, and you're wondering, where do I even start this conversation if I can't point to chapter and verse? Well, that's why Jay is here today. We want to take your questions, maybe even pray with you, be your prayer partner today for that person. Remember, evangelism is not... Uh, just a solo uh, enterprise. The Holy Spirit's there with us, uh, enabling us to be able to bear witness to Christ. But it's our uh, understanding of Jesus and his historicity that allows us to be able to persuade even the skeptic. 877-548-3675. I want to, before I go to break, mention your subtitle, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World That Rejects the Bible. Who did you write this for, and how do you hope that it'll be used? Well, you know, it's a part of it's just I'm so geeked out and excited about what you learn about Jesus. I just want to share it with people. So, so yeah, I think that, that believers, if you read this, I think you're going to come away 
confirming that, yeah, there's so much evidence, uh, and and this is why uh, Jesus has changed the world, and the confidence we ought to have, not to be ashamed of that, to actually stand on the shoulders of Jesus and his followers throughout history, we can take a place in that role. And and the other, uh, for skeptics, of course, I mean, that's that's who I was. So you're going to see my journey from disbelief to believe as part of this book. So it might be the kind of thing you give to a skeptic, but I think what it comes down to is, even as an atheist, the stuff that mattered most to me, I was unaware of the fact I could attribute all of it to Jesus and his followers. That's what we want to demonstrate in this book. All right, folks, with that set up, we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to start taking your calls, and we're also going to introduce you to the methodology that uh, Jim employs whenever he is dealing with a missing person case. If, If you wanted to learn from a cold case detective how he uniquely approaches uh, moments like this, situations like this, and and to understand why Jesus is the most significant person of interest in all of human history. You don't want to miss the rest of this conversation with Jay Warner Wallace. How do you get your hands on a copy of Person of Interest? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go to our website. Ordering information is there. It's equipradio.org. It's equipradio.org. And while you're there, consider partnering with us or call 888 888- We'll be right back with more of Equip right after this. Good friendships are a blessing. Jesus even said there is no greater love than the sacrificial love between friends. He knows we need each other, but how do we build these powerful relationships? Rebecca McLaughlin has written a guide to help us start, and I highly recommend it. It's called No Greater Love, a biblical vision for friendship. You can have a copy when you support Equip this month. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Jay Warner Wallace is joining me today to talk about his groundbreaking new book, Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. Jay, I asked you earlier who you wrote this book for, how you hope they would use it, but just say a word about the university students that um, are believers who are trying to share their faith and how this book might be a blessing to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of the problem is that I, you're like me. I was not a believer until I was 35. I had deep skepticism about all things Bible. Just say the Bible, and I was pretty much tuned out. So you had to come at me a different way. You know, you had to kind of show me, like, why should I even go back to the Bible to see anything more about this Jesus of, of Nazareth? So I think a lot of what we're trying to do in a book like this is to give you an opening into conversations, because most of the stuff you're probably talking about probably is not Bible. It's probably not even anything that has to do with God. It's about things like art and music and literature and education and science. And these are the areas that Jesus touched deeply. And so if, that, if that's where you're talking about things, there's a great way in. There's a great way to initiate a conversation if you just know about the impact that Jesus has had in these things that we all take for granted and that we all love as nonbelievers. Those are the five things that I was most uh, um, interested in as a nonbeliever. And if anyone had been able to kind of enter into a conversation about Jesus through one of those doors, I probably would have gone with them. But it's just a matter of do we know enough to be able to start those conversations. You, you kind of mentioned it in our first segment, and those of you who are on the line, please hold. We're going to get to your calls in a moment. I just want to set the stage, and again, if you want to join the conversation, maybe you're trying to share your faith with a skeptic, and you're wondering, how do I even 
have that conversation, in particular if they reject the authority of Scripture as God's Word. Well, Jay has written his book for just that specific scenario. You give us a call today, 877-548-3675. You touched on it in the first segment, but I just want you to unpack this a little bit more. You've taken a very innovative and unique approach uh, that you often employ to solve real missing person cases. And again, can you just explain to us what that unique approach is and how it tracks throughout the book? Right. So sometimes it's, it's, it's hard for people to even think about, well, like you expect when you get to a crime scene, you're going to have a, you know, blood from the body. The body's going to still be there. You're going to outline it. You're going to have different pieces of, of property or maybe some evidence from the suspect in the crime scene. But when you work a, a nobody missing, what happens is that that guy so, you know, reports his wife that, you know, she I had an argument last night and she left and she hasn't returned. And if he's convincing um, he can convince not only his own family but her family as well. As a matter, I've had a case from about you know about 30 years after the fact. That entire time, no member of the family ever called us to say, "Hey, are you working my daughter's case?" Because they had been so utterly convinced by the son-in-law that their daughter had run off. And, and of course, they they wanted to believe that anyway because who wants to believe your your daughter's been killed by her husband? Instead, you'd rather believe that she's going to come back someday. She's just taken off for a while. She'll eventually reappear. Well, that's the problem with these kinds of cases. No one calls, no one works the case, and then when you finally decide, hey, this is not a missing, this is a murder, well, now you're stuck with no evidence. Uh, no photographs were ever taken. They've sold the house. It was remodeled. There's not even a place to go back and look for any evidence. Well, how, without any evidence, do you make a case? Well, again, it's all part of a timeline. Every crime occurs in a specific uh, timeline, and there's stuff that that guy did before the murder that probably will give him away. That fuse that was leading up, number one, you can see the growing hostility. You start to understand his motive, why he would do something mm-hmm. like this. Then if he has to go out and get the weapon, if he has to tell you, does he, does he, does he prepare to how he's going to dispose of the body? Then afterwards, there's a number of things. You know, Typically, uh, if someone kills his wife, he's going to end up – now, how long is he going to hang on to her stuff before he gets rid of it? Well, you know, that, that quickness to get rid of and just kind of brush it under the carpet, that kind of thing is also a giveaway that you know she's not coming back when other people wouldn't know she's not coming back. These kinds of behaviors before and after the crime will give you away. And the same thing happens in human history when it comes to Jesus. Even if I had no evidence, quote-unquote, in the, in the crime scene of the New Testament. Now, look, in the end, everything we know about Jesus, of course, comes from our knowledge of the New Testament. But if every one of those was destroyed... The fingerprints of Jesus, as others repeat his story, stand on his story, stand on the truth of what happened in the first century in order to build some other aspect of culture, well, those fingerprints remain so deeply uh, ingrained that we can reconstruct the story of Jesus from all these aspects of human culture that most of us just take for granted. So that's what we're doing in the fallout. And, of course, we think that, I think that you can demonstrate that God has aligned history. So like Paul says, that Jesus comes in the fullness of time. In other words, uh, that the exact time that God has prepared him to arrive, that's when he arrives. I want to be able to demonstrate that in the fuse. And that fuse and fallout approach, honestly, is what I do in front of juries. It's very visual in front of the jury. They see the fuse. They see the fallout. We do the same thing in this book. But we do it with Jesus instead of just a murder case. Listen, just like Jay does, Jim does in all of his books, he's going to teach us some uh, detective techniques, how to be a good detective, how to think like a detective thinks. 
And ultimately, what it's going to enable us to do is to make better arguments. But ultimately, what I want you to know is that this book does not, it's not a call for us to discard the value of the Bible, but it is a, uh, a, a resource for us to engage the mind of the skeptic of the person who uh, does not start with the presupposition that the Bible is credible, we get a chance to enter in by proving through the uh, the fuse and the fallout method uh, that Jesus really did exist, that he, his impact on history is absolutely remarkable. Now, how do you explain that? That's when we're able to reinforce the message of the gospel, that he is king of kings, he is lord of lords, he is our sovereign savior. I want to go to the phone lines. Alex has been patiently listening, Jim, in Miami, Florida. Alex, thank you so much, brother, for listening to the program. What's your question for Jim? What's up, guys? Excited to be here. Mr. Wallace, I have a question for you. Um, yeah. I, I saw that dumping a bunch of information uh, just cold at somebody might actually throw them off. Uh, and just throwing a bunch of info at somebody doesn't really help connect. So my question will be, how would you go about setting up the stage to connect with that person so that then you can go into more of the rational argument for the existence mm. of our Savior? Good yeah, question. absolutely. I've, uh, information on its own, I think, is almost useless. It's information connected to relationship. So all of us, you know, people will say, come to my book table after an event, and they'll say, hey, you know, can you sign a book for my daughter who's 22 who – Who's, she's walked away from the church, and I just want to give her your book. So, well, okay, I can sign the book for your daughter, but she's not going to read it. Instead, we have to possess that information in our heads. It's far better for us as the parent to understand the information deeply because we have a connection. Uh, yeah, I, I've got the information in a book, but I have no relationship with the daughter. The, the father has a relationship with the daughter, but no information. Well, it turns out once you have the relationship and the information, you know what it is your kids are hanging up on. You know what it is your friends. Like it's, I might give you 100 pieces of, of information in this book, but it turns out your friend, if you know him well enough or her well enough, really only has one question, doesn't have 100. You don't have to overwhelm them. You simply have to be able to respond, and you have to know these people well enough to know where their hesitancy really resides. So like, where does, it, where does it really lie? So I, I, I totally agree with you. Well, we, here's what is interesting. Um, if, if you're a fan of the Chicago Bears, then right now you know what the quarterback issues are, right? Justin Fields about to take over that team. He had a great <laughs> second half last, last week, right? So if I asked you, we'll make a case for the Chicago Bears, and, and you said, well, my, my problem is I don't trust the quarterback. Well, you might have to know enough about the quarterback. Now, if you said, well, I think the, the defense is aging, I have to know enough about the defense or make the case there. In other words, a lot of us have so much information about useless data that we can make a case from any number of angles about the Chicago Bears. But yet, when it comes to Jesus, we haven't really done our homework. And here, this is Lord, okay? The Bears are the Bears, okay? But, but we, this is our, our, our God, our Savior. And we don't know as much from different angles about how to make a case for Jesus as we do about how to make a case for the Bears. And I'm, I'm just as guilty. We're in Los Angeles, where we got two teams for everything, all right? So, I mean, it's all this useless information we collect. We need to shift that toward the important information that is related to Jesus. Yeah, so I hear you saying, and Alex, I want you to stay on the line because we're going to give you a complimentary copy of Jim's book, Person of Interest. So you stay on the line. Our producer will get your information. But what I hear you saying, Jim, is that we need to have not only uh, the knowledge of Christ in our hearts, but we need to have an authentic enough relationship with him 
that it does invite people to ask the question for the reason, for the hope that lies within us. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Remember that? We always talk about that concentric circles of Jesus, right? He's got the, the masses. He's got the 72. He's got the 12. He's got the three. And as we get closer and closer to Jesus, of course, he's going to leverage relationships to have to even to talk about even deeper issues. Now, but we have to be ready to be able to address, you know, just the world that we don't even know. You might bump into somebody you don't know as part of the masses. You still want to be able to preach the gospel. You proclaim the gospel, defend the gospel. But when it comes to the real impact we're going to have, you just know that Jesus had a much bigger impact on James and Peter and John than he did on the masses. And it's because he's he's in a relationship with those three in a different way than he's in a relationship with the masses. So I think that the, the more we know people and the heart, but to have a heart like Jesus to to want to reach all those concentric circles, that's a, I think that's a challenge. The number eight seven seven live six seven five. That's eight seven seven five four eight thirty six seventy five. I'm tempted to ask you another question, but we're right up against a break. So I'm just going to ask you to respond to this really quickly. You say in your yeah. book that the more I investigate the existence of the deity of Jesus, the more I realize that the Bible was not the only available source of information. For some hearing that, that may be jarring. Why should we not be discouraged by that, but actually encouraged by a statement like that? Yeah, that's be encouraged, because so a lot of skeptics are saying, well, really, you think Jesus is God, yet the only people who talk about him are these four little peasants, you know, these four nobodies in a small corner of the Roman Empire, right, the four Gospels? Uh, actually, no. There's a huge tidal wave of information about Jesus, which you would expect to be if he is who he said he was. I'm not suggesting that's more important than the Gospels. Of course not. But wouldn't you expect, if you drop a huge boulder in the pond, it's going to make a huge ripple wave effect? This is what Jesus did, and that just demonstrates he's more than the average ancient. Was Jesus a copycat savior? Was he a mistaken messiah? What about uh, fiction? Was Jesus just fiction? Well, uh, Jim answers these questions and much more in his book, Person of Interest. I want to encourage you to get it. This is a great gift for the college student, the young adult that you know in your life, but all of us can benefit from it. Find out ordering information at equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. Also, stand with us financially. It allows us to be able to continue to equip you to more effectively live, share, and defend your faith. Find out more at equipradio.org. You're listening to a pre-recorded encore presentation of Equipped with Chris Brooks. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks, having a fascinating conversation with Jay Warner Wallace about his newest book, Person of Interest. Jay looks at uh, ancient Roman documents, Greek historians, Jewish historians, and even ancient skeptics to build a case for not only the existence of Jesus, but the significance of Jesus in his book, Person of Interest, by using uh, real-life detective techniques that allow us to be able to uncover what history has to tell us about our Savior and to be able to enter into conversation with even the most hardened skeptic. Maybe you're trying to share your faith with a skeptic. Maybe it's your son or daughter. Maybe it's a friend or a neighbor or coworker, and you're wondering, how do I do it if they reject the premise of the Bible being the Word of God? It's exactly why Jay has written his book. Why don't you call us today with your questions or maybe even your prayer requests 
uh, for those who don't know Christ, that they might come to faith in Jesus. 877-LIVE-675. That's 877-548-3675. Jim, Becky has been listening in Muncie, Indiana. She has this question. Is this book appropriate for middle schoolers? What do you say? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I do. This is all my books. I write uh, like a high school pastor. You know, uh, like I had middle schoolers. I had seventh and eighth graders all the way through junior high and high school, basically. And I always thought that if I can, number one, I raise the bar for those kids. So so I've always thought that that if your young kids can do a lot more than we think they can, we expect a lot more from them in certain educational uh, aspects of their their schooling, and we even get them tutors sometimes. But when it comes to... Spiritual issues, we kind of want, well, really, can they handle it? But what I've discovered is if you can make it visual, you can get a lot more from the reader. And that's what we try to do. So this book, you know, I made sure that I told the publisher I want to make sure I, I drew all those illustrations, and I want at least one graphic image, one graphic element on every page if there's not a list. So that's a sidebar. That's an illustration. Wow. That's a graphic header, whatever it may be. So no matter where you open the book, it feels like it's it's going to read super fast. Now, what I had to do in order to do that is kick the footnotes. Like there's a 279-page PDF file online that is the footnotes for this book because I knew if I put that stuff in, then it's not going to be appropriate for high schoolers. It's not going to be appropriate for middle schoolers. But I actually think this book, I don't change my talks when I give a talk to middle schoolers. This weekend we're in Minneapolis for the Reality Conference. That's all high schoolers. They get the exact same talk I present at churches for adults. Why? Because it's visual. And if you make it visual, uh, a visual generation is able to, to receive it. Yeah, I love it. And, Becky, I would say yes, yes, and yes. I have the book in front of me, Becky. And, um, man, Jim is right. On every page, there are illustrations and pictures. This is highly visual. And after all, who doesn't love a picture book? Becky, here's what we're going to do for you. You stay on the line. We got your back here at Equip. We're going to get you a copy of Jay's book just as a complimentary way of saying thank you for listening, for caring about middle schoolers, and for your heart for Jesus. So, Becky, stay on the line. Our producer We'll get your information, and we'll send you a copy of Jim's book. Jim, when you are uh, examining the testimony of any witness, how much does their trustworthiness play into their credibility, and, and why does that matter when it comes to this book you've written on Jesus? Yeah, it's all about witness reliability. Reliability. That's what the word we typically use in front of juries and jury instructions, right? Why would you consider this witness to be reliable? We can test witnesses. And I did that in a book called Cold Case Christianity. And what's great is that sometimes you'll have a case where you have no um, eyewitnesses and you have no crime, like these no-body murders. And when you finally get the verdict and you talk to the jury, they will say, you know, it was good, and I, I, I certainly did it. But it was hard, and I wish that I would have had somebody in the crime scene who could have said what happened and could have told us about what happened. But they still rendered a verdict. Well, it turns out we have someone who's in the crime scene with Jesus who wrote about what they saw. So our case is even stronger than anything we can put in front of a jury in a no-body murder. In those cases, I've never lost one. They've all been able to render a verdict, and afterwards, in one of them, the, the guy eventually – well, two of them, the guy actually confessed and gave us the location of the body. So we know we got the right verdict, 
and we did it all without any evidence from the crime scene. So, yeah, re- reliability is important, and we have that when it comes to Jesus. That's why this case – that's why we're talking about both the stuff that's in the New Testament and the stuff that's out of the New Testament, because I want the reader to be as overwhelmed as I was with the strength of this cumulative case. It's, it's just overwhelming. All right, I'm going to go to the phone lines in a moment, I promise. So you stay on the line if you're there. But I want to ask one more question. I just recently came back, Jim, from Israel. And, man, what a beautiful place. For those who haven't been, I would encourage you to go. Uh, But I came back with a deeper heart burden to see uh, Jews come to know Jesus as their Messiah. And, uh, And I want to ask this question. If all I had were the Old Testament prophets, could I make a case for Jesus being the Messiah? Absolutely. We did a chapter here on one of the strands of the fuse that burns up to the appearance of Jesus, which is the prophetic fuse of Old Testament prophecy. And what I tried to do in that chapter is something I've never seen done anywhere else. Maybe it has. I just didn't see it. And I wanted to give you the prophecies, not so much in the grouping of, okay, this is about his birth. This is about how he's going to be raised. This is a prophecy about his death. I wanted to give them to you instead in the order in which they actually were uttered by the prophets. I put them in a timeline. And I think as you put them in the timeline, you will see why Jesus comes when he does. Look, we have to answer five big questions before we can answer the sixth in any investigation. The what, why, when, how, who. Who is the last question? The what, when, how, why. Those questions come first. Then you finally answer the who question. Well, it turns out, if you look at the timeline, you'll see that you don't get the answers to the first five investigative questions until you get to the end of the the Old Testament. And this is why Jesus shows up when he does. The most clarity about how is what is what is his mission going to be? When will it occur in a tight window? Daniel's tight window is very provocative. Daniel says that he's going to come between the restoration of Jerusalem, the order to restore Jerusalem, and the destruction of the temple. We know the destruction of the temple is in 70 A.D. So that Messiah has got to show up in that first century. Mm-hmm. And you'll see in that fuse that I described, because visually you'll see the over. There's a window of opportunity for something big to happen in history between about 30. B.C. and about 70 A.D. And who shows up in the middle of that? You know, that's the reason why. <laughs> this is not just the, this is the first century. We call it the first century for a reason, and it wasn't the first century. It wasn't the first century in which humans lived or history was recorded. Why are we calling it the first century? Because a window opens up for something amazing to happen, and Jesus stands right in the middle of that window. So awesome. Let's go to Sherry who's listening in Ohio on WCRF. Hey, Sherry, thank you so much for listening. What's your question for Jim? Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, yeah. My question, um, my my son is an atheist, and it just breaks my heart. Um, but he's one of those people who's extremely intelligent and pretty scholarly, and he listens to a lot of um, lectures by professors and he studied a lot of ancient history. Um, And so I'm not scholarly like that. And so he has arguments that he presents to me and he says, if if there's proof, then he'll believe, but there's just not. So I understand what you're saying about your, you know, having a case, but he's looking for something like really concrete, and so yeah. I I don't know how to have these discussions with him because I just don't know enough to be able to have an intelligent conversation about it. So I wondered okay. if you could comment on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, just know this, sister. I, 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 if you didn't know me at 34, you would have said there's no way that dude's ever going to be a Christian. Um, wasn't raised in a Christian family. Was very thoughtful about my atheism. Was very thoughtful about um, why I didn't believe God existed. I was pretty skeptical of Christians in general, based on what I saw at my job. A lot of the guys that take to jail would tell me they were Christians. Um, I just really had, and I was very mocking of. I was not a nice guy about these kinds of issues. My friends still remind me of this today. Yet God can do what God can do, and God will do what God will do. So a lot of this is us about jury selection, right? I mean, when someone's in that position, you have to pray and model Christ for them. Because before that person's ever going to listen to any evidence you would present, God's got to do something to soften his heart toward – I mean, one day I, I was willing to go to church. I mean, that started right there. Why would I ever be willing to go to church? I never was before that. Something was already happening, and then I was willing to even investigate the case. Well, why is that? I was never willing to investigate the case before because God is doing that thing that only God does. So a lot of it for us as parents is about, and we all have spectrum of belief in our kids, right? We see that spectrum of belief. I get it. Well, we're going to pray and model Christ for those who, now at the same time, I'm going to encourage you. Because it, it, it turns out that when we are told to worship God with all of our, our soul, our heart, our minds by Jesus, that we are to worship God with our minds. We are to take an, an yes. exchange. I mean, look, look, my wife's good about telling me, what we're going to watch that on Netflix? Really? What, what good is that going to do us to watch that sh- so, show on Netflix? It's going to do nothing. We could spend that time in Scripture. We could spend that time doing other things. And so it's about us. If we said, hey, I don't know the case, well, you've got time to learn it as you pray and model Christ for your son, and, and, and God will open up opportunities for him, and, and life opens up opportunities. Look, I didn't understand the role of a heavenly father until I was an earthly father. So there are things that happen in our lives that kind of give us opportunities to pause. In the meantime, I would ask this of him. If you could demonstrate that Christianity were true, would you become a Christ follower? Now, he's going to say, well, you can't demonstrate it. No, I'm just saying, thought experiment. Imagine a, a, whatever your needs are, I met them, and, and I could demonstrate that Christianity were true. Would you become a Christ follower? The answer to that question often is no. And that tells you it's a heart issue and not a head issue, and that's the kind of thing we ask God to fix, heart issues. Yeah. I can't change your heart, but I could change how you think about things. Um, but that's up to God to do that. So I also want to encourage you, it's not all on us as parents. Um, and God will do what God will do, and I'm trusting God for some of this. Sherry, I want to just echo what Jim just said to you, and and one of the things I want to do is gift to you today a complimentary copy of Jim's book, Person of Interest, and I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this to you, Sherry, because I believe that when we have people we love that are far from Jesus, that they become the greatest motivation for us to deepen our understanding and, and learning. Uh, Sherry, I know these things may be things that maybe you don't know and maybe they feel intimidating, but they really are not hard to learn. And if ever there was a book that I felt like was a great uh, introduction to how we can begin to interact with those who uh, really look to intellectualism for uh, evidence, uh, I think Jim's book does that in a very practical an approachable way. You know, when I um, taught, and I've taught a lot of students in the classroom over the years, I used to ask them the question, not why are you here, but who are you here for? Because the greatest motivation for learning is always a person, 
Maybe it's your kids. In your case, it's your son. Maybe it's someone who you're uh, in, at work with. Maybe it's an extended family member. Maybe it's a, uh, a neighbor. But, but who are you learning for? Well, you have your who. It's your son. And so I would say your son is worth reading every page of Jim's book. And as you uh, encounter these truths, you're going to be able to say to him, son, have you considered all of the evidence from history? Again, Roman history, uh, Greek history, Jewish history, all of the ancient history that's here that makes the concrete evidence for Jesus. And what you will find, Sherry, I promise you this, at the end of this journey of reading, not only are you going to grow, but it's probably going to expose that it's not a lack of evidence that your son is uh, not encountering, but there's something else that's blocking him from seeing Jesus. But Father, we pray right now for Sherry, for her son, that you would open his eyes, just like you did for Jim, just like you did for me, that he might see you a Savior and Lord. We pray for his salvation, even now, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Sherry, you stay on the line. The rest, go to our website, find out how to order copy of Jim's new book, Person of Interest, at equipradio.org. Much more to come right after this on Equip. At Equipped is our goal to strengthen your faith. And we're always excited as we hear stories of people coming to faith as a result of our program. But we couldn't possibly accomplish this mission alone. That's why we're looking for equippers and people just like you who will give a monthly gift to help us keep this program on the air. Would you consider partnering with us? Become an equipper today and receive special insider benefits, such as a bi-weekly email that contains pastoral messages prepared just for you. Call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So happy to have Jay Warner Wallace with us. Jay, man, does uh, time fly when you're talking about Jesus. And uh, I wish we had a few more hours together. But, folks, this is a book worth buying. So go to our website, find out ordering information, or as always, social media is available to you. Why don't you go to uh, Equip Radio on Facebook or Twitter? Tony is listening. Hey, Tony, uh, thank you for calling What's your question for Jim? Yes, uh, my, my question is that this sounds like a fascinating book um, and one that um, you know, really can uh, meet some needs um, in terms of outreach. But my, my real question is that um, has uh, this book, as the author of the book, uh, known of many cases of conversion as a result of the book? Yeah, great question. Jim, you know, you've been doing this for a while. Have you seen people come to Christ as a result, not only of this book, but the other books you've written? Yeah, so this book's only been out now, uh, not even, I think it's been, not even eight weeks, or we're out into the publication of the book. So it's, it's, I'm getting, I'm getting great feedback from people. Uh, but I can tell you that we've done other, this is the eighth book. Uh, so this, the other books, I definitely get emails. But let me, what I, what I believe is it's, I never, maybe it's just my own 
wanting to be careful about what I think of, of our ability as humans, right? I mean, I, I just I want to be careful that when, even when someone writes me and says, oh, I read your book and this happened. Okay, well, that's good. I, it's part of a process, though. Uh, our book, our statements, our relationships with people are just part of a team effort that God uses all of us. And I, everyone who reads a book like mine is part, of a, is part of a larger journey in which they're having conversations and life experiences. And all of these things are contributing to a moment when they finally say, you know what? I'm in. I, I give. I'm, I'm going to bend my knee. I'm going I'm to accept Jesus as Savior. I never really think that it's any one thing. Even if you went to a crusade, you know, and you heard a preacher preach the gospel, a ton of stuff happened in your life before you got to that moment where you decided to go to a crusade. And God has used all of those conversations. So yes, can you use a book? Yeah, believe it or not, I, this is how I got saved. I got saved by examining the evidence. Okay, but that all that did was was knock down the barriers that I had built. So that the gospel could be heard. It was the power of the gospel that saved me. But this process of reading through and, and answering my questions was important. So I could hear the gospel clearly. So I never, like, even if you said to me, oh, have you ever, like, shared the gospel and someone got saved? Well, well, yeah, but it wasn't, like, I'm the last domino in a series of dominoes that have to fall. And so I think that these kinds of books are kind of like that, right? This is for some people, it'll be like the, the the last straw on the camel's back that finally causes them to bend a knee. And I think that's what we're trying to do with books like this. Man, you got so many great chapters in here for the Hindu, for the Muslim. There's a chapter on why Jesus is the only way, and again, he's using evidence from history for the science denier uh, for. Those who are uh, broadly skeptics of uh, deity, miracles, and and much more. I want to encourage you, get a copy of the book. Uh, Why do you believe, and maybe this is a great place for us to land a plane, um, with about a minute and a half, and I know that's tough, but why do you believe that Jesus is the only ancient figure that could have inaugurated the common era? Think about it. Why would it be Jesus? I mean, this guy who's a nobody, born in a small nowhere town, raised in another nowhere town, never traveled more than about 200 miles from where he started, only had three years to get this done in his public ministry. He never had a family, never had kids to carry on a legacy, never led a nation or ruled an army, never wrote a concert or even a book. He was despised by the people who had power. They, they hunted him. He was you know, d- discarded by the people who were religious. His own followers betrayed him or denied him at some point, and then he's falsely accused brutally killed, has to borrow a grave. This nobody, this ancient Jewish sage, compare him to all the other people in the first century. All those important people combined are not why we call it the first century. Why is it Jesus? There's no other fictional character who's had any impact on, on history like Jesus. That's why it's reasonable to reject the idea that Jesus is a fictional character. And there's no other mortal who's had this kind of impact on history. That's why it's reasonable to reject the idea that Jesus is just a mortal. There's something different about Jesus. If we don't understand his impact on history, that's our fault. We, have, we just don't understand history. But once you do, you will see that only could a historical Jesus, who is who he said he was, the God who created all of this, if that God steps into creation, he would have exactly the kind of impact that we expect and exactly the kind of impact we see of Jesus of Nazareth. It's actually, a, I think, a good evidence for his deity. Remove Jesus from history, and history cannot hold together. And Jim makes that argument and proves it with the evidence uh, uh, that is documented throughout his book. Jim, you're a huge gift to the body of Christ. 
And again, thank you for your humility, brother. Thank you for your diligence and your faithfulness. And thank you for the book. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me on. Folks, you can find out more at our website, equipradio.org. Again, person of interest, why Jesus still matters in a world that rejects the Bible. Hey, I can't wait to we're together again next time. Remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.